All right, here we go. Thank you for the clock, guys. All right. Uh, I'm going to do a quick introduction. Some of you have heard some of this uh, because you came to a couple of the meetings that we've already had. But what we're doing is, is that we're going to be interviewing Jesse McCracken. And Jesse is coming to us, as you're going to find out, I think, as a provision of the Lord. I really do believe that the Lord five years ago called us to something. And I believe that he is now where he has guided, he is now providing. It was five years ago, right about this time of the year, that God started talking to me about how bad discipleship was. And I started bringing it back to this church with concepts like blowing up church and so on. And trying to figure out how to do a better job with discipleship. Two and a half years ago, we moved that into a very serious phase where we took ministry from the professional ranks where it has been going so much in American Christianity. And we brought it back to the people. Why? Because the pros were growing like weeds because you grow like a weed when you're doing ministry. The people were not. The people were dying. Discipleship numbers started showing that strongly. And so what we did is we said, we're going to return ministry to the people. And so that's what we are doing. I want to just walk you through this little thing right here. We're equipping, building, and calling. By the way, ushers, thank you for passing this out. If you do not have that bulletin that looks roughly like that, a little brochure, would you please raise your hand? Okay, and we have copies. We did send them out electronically to help save some cost, and there'll also be a job description that'll be coming. So ushers, go ahead and uh, bring those forward. I'm not seeing anybody moving on that. You got it, they're coming. Okay, so keep your hands up until you can't hold them up any longer, and then lift up the other hand, okay? All right, they will get to you. Thank you very much, okay? Now, now what I'm doing is we start off here with the goal to greatly increase discipleship through returning ministry to God's people, okay? That's what we're doing. We're greatly increasing discipleship by returning ministry where God wanted it to be. This is the concept that you get out of that great, great Bible study called Experiencing God. Where the idea is when you join with the tasks, with the work that God is doing that he's called you to do, uniquely since before the foundation of the world, when you do that, it will take you into depths of revelation of him that are amazing. It won't just minister through you, it'll minister to you. It'll change your life. So that's what the goal is. That's what we're doing with discipleship here. It's been going fantastically well, um, but we have a problem. Okay? The current teams are maxed out. Okay? There's three primary people that are supposed to be building the teams. I'm one of them, and I also have preaching, counseling, and several other things, you know, counsel and several other things that I have to do. So my bandwidth for actually building teams is fairly small. Okay? Then we also have JJ doing this. She was specifically hired to bring this in. What's been happening with that? She's been doing a fantastic job with Lake Sam Kids. She's also doing some executive pastoring. How much bandwidth does she have left to build new teams like we need? Eh. Okay. So then we go to uh, Amy, who is doing this also. But she also has a major area of church responsibility that does capture time so that she can't spend all of her time on team building. Now... The reason why that's so important is because in order to hit our vision, we need to get to a tipping point. Here's what the tipping point is. I think I'm going to go ahead and use his name. Ah, no, I won't do it. Uh, in the bulletin a couple of weeks ago, you saw a testimony from somebody that's on one of our steering teams. When I first sold him, I sold him like this. I said, I want you to think about steering teams this way. 
If you do them right, they will make you a better human being. They'll make you a better Christian. They'll make you a better employee. They'll make you a better employer. They'll make you a better spouse. They'll make you a better father and mother. They'll make you better at every part of your life. Why? Because whenever you're doing stuff with a bunch of people that you're sort of thrown in together with, there's friction. There's stuff that happens. There's politics. There's issues. Beyond that, there's actually finding God's will for what to do through that ministry. If the goal of the team was simply to do ministry, we can get that done. That's not the goal. Of the, that's not the goal. Absolutely, that's not the goal. The goal is, is to get people to interact with the Lord in a way that they cry out to him for help because they're in situations politically and ministerially in terms of vision and how to implement and so on, that they need God. And when you call on God, what happens? <laughs> he loves to answer. And when he answers, it changes your life. So that's where we are headed with this. And, and we need to get to a place to where we get to a tipping point. And I was telling the story of somebody who, who wrote in. And what they said was, is, you told me that this would change my life. And you know how we are. You know, I mean, really? Is it really going to do that? He said, I'm finding that my job situation is changing completely. I'm finding that the way I am interacting with other people in there is different because of what I've been learning in this steering team. Now, we need about 150 of those testimonies to hit tipping point. Because when people start seeing this over and over, the whole thing starts to work the way God wants it to work because it'll be people saying, oh man, you've got to be on my team. It's not going to be recruiting and setting up and just task-driven. It'll be, you've got to be on my team because we'll, you can't wait to see what God does. Get it? So that's where we're headed with this. And we're trying to get to a tipping point. And as I said, we, we, you know, if this is where we started... And if this is where I believe God wants us to get to, to where it's a tipping point and it's self-sustaining in a way that is beautiful and full and rich the way God intends it, it's my belief that we're about 30% of the way there right now. Now, we've already experienced huge changes in 30%, but we got a long ways to go. So what I did was, is I went to, you know, for the first year, we're about two and a half years in, for the first year, we made really great progress. And then our team maxed out. And we've made halting progress ever since. So I went to Dave Cole, friend of this church. He helps run Jubilee Reach. He used to run Coinstar and made it into a billion-dollar business. This is a guy who is an expert at helping organizations figure out how to fulfill their mission. I asked him to come in, take a look at our church, take a look at our staff, take a look at everything and tell us, we're stalled, how do we get moving again? His answer was, well, you can do a little shifting here, you can do a little shifting here and everything else, but the more we talked, the more it became clear that the answer was, we're just simply missing enough. We don't have the bandwidth. We can't even pull it by shifting. We just need another person. You need somebody who's gifted at team building, who's got the right skill set, who's got the right temperament, who's got the right personality, all this kind of stuff. And as we were talking, he did not have this in mind, but as we were talking, suddenly he said, oh my gosh, I've got the guy. And he said, I get, you know, there was, it's a long story, but the bottom line is he said, Jesse McCracken. This is a guy I know really well. This is a guy who's having a lot of success in this exact area. I think that God is calling him to a lot more in this area. He's a young guy, uh, you know, very attractive in terms of his personality and his deep, deep, deep faith in the Lord and so on. And he said, this is the guy. So I said, okay. And I started talking to him and man, oh man, what a fit. I mean, just as I talk to him, I want you to hear him. That's why I'm going fast here, because I want you to hear more from him than me today by far. And the bottom line is, is uh, you know, honestly, 
when he would talk, that was exactly the things that God had been talking to me about. And when I would talk, his testimony, as you'll hear, is that's exactly the things that God was talking to me about. So this is somebody who I believed God had in mind from before. I believe he's even been bringing people in, as I said in my letter. He's been doing things to already build, and now he's bringing in this key piece to do something wonderful for us. Where he guides, he provides. So with that in mind, let me just show you. We needed one more key person. We needed someone to execute. I'm going to do this very fast. I just want you to see it. Every, almost everybody in this room has taken strength finders. That is a way of, when you get it back, you get one of these 33 gifts. But what we're looking at at our level is, Gallup went out and they looked at thousands of companies and they said, what does it take for a team to succeed? And they identified there were four crucial categories. They were executive, not executive, but executive. In other words, can you get the thing done? Influencing, will anybody come with you while you're doing it? Relationship, they, they have found what the gospel finds, what the gospel reveals. If you don't start with relationship, if you don't keep it about relationship, if you're not about relationship first and foremost, then it becomes a task and it becomes something else and it'll quit. It'll end at some point. And lastly, strategic. Can you get these visions from the Lord? Can you get these big ideas? And then can you bring them all the way to execution? Now, I want you to look at this and here's why. For years, this church has had, I think, a prophetic gift. God has led us incredibly well. He has spoken things to us, and we have tried to do various things, and our downfall has been we didn't execute very well. We didn't get it into actual reality the way that, the way that we could, should, and the way that God wanted, and so we've had some great, great victories, and we've had some good misses, right? Is that a good euphemism? Okay. If you'll look here, JJ is these blues. You'll look an executive. Before we hired JJ, look at, where we, look at what our problem was. Literally no executive. And that's exactly what we were experiencing. So I went to Scott Chin when we were talking about hiring somebody and all that. And I said, Scott, here's what the team needs. Somebody who's great at execution. I want you to find me somebody with three gifts in execution. That's my bottom line. You interview them. You tell me that this is the right person. We'll go with them. We hired JJ. She has been fantastic. She has really rocked it. She's building an LSK team phenomenally well. I just have all the respect in the world for her. So she comes on. But one of the things that this thing will tell you is, is we're still unbalanced, A, because we don't have very much in the executive branch. By the way, it doesn't matter that they're, they're repeating. It just matters that they're even. So that you have as much execution as strategic, as much relational as influencing, as much, see what I mean? It's a balance in the team that you're looking for. And one of the bad balances in our team right now is that we don't have anybody but one person doing execution. And she's already pretty full. So... With Jesse, we strength-finded him. This is just one area where I felt like God was in it. But look at that. In fact, you can do the math on each column in there, and you'll find out it almost perfectly balances us. It gives two people, roughly, in every single category, and the same number. And, and the, the point is, we've been using this now for years, and we have discovered this tool is right on. I mean, this tool will really tell you where your problems are going to be and how to get out of them, okay? what you need in order to fix it. So we look at Jesse, and we say, there's the fix. Okay, now, what's the job description then? You'll hear about the fact that he has a lot of worship in his, in his past and so on, great worship leader. We are not hiring him to be a worship leader. What we are hiring him to do is to be a team development and project manager. It's actually team development lead. Uh, Amy Wasaki is also a team development lead, but the bottom line is we're, we're hiring him to build teams and we're hiring him to take 
projects and move them to completion. One of the projects that we're working on is, as we want to get people involved in ministry, we've got this idea that we're doing of being able to help people help people move along in their discipleship process and bring others alongside of them in areas where they need some help. That's a big project. I've been trying to get it done for about four or five years now. Well, that'll be one of the first things that he does. He'll step up and he'll work on a project to get this loop working properly so that we can start matching people that have developed an expertise in an area with people that need help in that area in order to grow more. Catch it? along with building the teams. So there you go, okay? Now, now we're gonna to get to the interview. Is this God? So I'm gonna, we're gonna say a prayer and then Jesse's gonna come up, or actually Jesse come up now. Would you just walk him in for me, please? Okay. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, Kevin Prowlis, you're the guy. So would you pray for, the, pray for this time that we just, that God really speaks what he wants to speak. Okay. All right. God, we just thank you that you're here, and we just ask that you would speak. And not only that, that, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we'd be open to what you have to say. And as this is such an important time to discern, and the responsibility is not just with the leaders of the church, it's not with the current steering teams, it's every single person here is responsible to discern, Lord. So I ask that you would help us discern and uh, that you would open our hearts and our minds for what you have for us, God. And I just thank you and just trust that you're going to move and speak and do something awesome. Amen. And we just uh, thank you in advance because we know you're going to do something cool. And Amen. I also want to lift up another church I lift up. Uh, Pearl Foursquare Church in Portland. Lord, Amen. that city is such an interesting mix with the most uh, strip clubs per capita, but also the most nonprofits per capita. And Lord, I just know that the church has a place there and Amen. has uh, a voice that can, can shift that culture, Lord. And, and so I just ask that you'd bless that church and uh, help them to be a culture changer in uh, such an interesting city. And we just Amen. thank you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome, Amen. prayer, Kevin. Thank you. All right, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask him a few just background questions, the kind of thing that, so that we kind of get up to speed on that. And then we're going to go into some deeper church type questions about what God's doing and what he thinks God's calling him to and, and how that matches with us and so on. As we do that, you can text me questions. Please wait just a little while till we get past some of the background so that you can see it. I'm going to have to be double dutying here, okay? Uh, did I say duty? I did, didn't I? Yeah, yeah okay. You did. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what's that? <laughs> so, like I said, you can text questions and so on. So, nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Yeah. So, tell us where you come from. You know, we're going to go through some of that again. And sorry for some of who heard this. We'll go through it fairly quickly. Uh, I drove here from my house in Bellevue. <laughs> That's where I came from. <laughs> Um, I was born in, in San Diego, California, uh, so I grew up first seven years a mile from the beach. Uh, just talked to, was it Roger, who was about 23 years veteran of San Diego. So if you've been there, you know it. People call it heaven on earth, and I had that opinion growing up. Um, and then my parents did something just egregious at the age of seven. They moved from heaven, right, San Diego, to Yakima. <laughs> 
So that's my analogy from heaven to hell. Those are my two reference points. <laughs> Great people in Yakima, uh, and, and I still have a lot of my family there. But for me, uh, that was a tough move. So I'm one of, one of seven kids, and actually, I didn't plan this because uh, with a handheld, I can't do it. So can I use your hands, actually, Kurt? Yeah, here we go. So hold up this hand, too. Two. There we go. And so they can see it. Okay. There we go. Okay. Five. There you go. Okay. Okay. So this will, this will give you, this is my family. Oh, no, 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 no. Back. There we go. No. Five. Like five. Five two. and two. There we go. Okay. I, he didn't know there was going to be math. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So my older sister, Sarah, right here. Then there's me. There's a year and a half uh, gap between the two of us. Four and a half year gap. This is fantastic. Am I, I doing should, good? Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> to Joy. This is a sister of mine. Two brothers, Jake and Sean, and then two sisters. Uh, this would be uh, Molly. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and Kate. Took me a second on those. And so um, there were the older two and the bottom five. Uh, the other thing to know is my, my parents were kind of like hippies in the 80s. So my dad at one point had, he had blonde hair braided to his waist. He was a surfer. Um, he drove a 71 VW camper van. When I was born, he still drives that 71 VW camper van to this day. Um, and my joy, the third one there, was actually born in a horse trough in our house. Um, so it just give you some reference points to, to my upbringing. Does anything happen like that to you, Carlos, growing up? <laughs> Nothing? Okay. <laughs> so, and thanks for being, Carlos is a friend of mine and he showed up. I don't even think, did you know you were doing an announcement? So thanks for doing that. You How many of you wish that, so that was just like spur of the moment. I think if Carlos could give me a pep talk every morning, my life would be... <laughs> Isn't he incredible? There you go. So, so kind of data points to my family. I had a really good year when I was four. I'd reference that actually is the best year of my life. Um, what? <laughs> it's downhill from All there. All downhill from four? Wow. It was a good year, man. Um, so then the story will get a little bit serious. The, um, I'm 28, and, and what, what thing is true is I've had a pretty, pretty difficult life. And so I'd say there's about two years that i choose to relive of it, just to give you a concept of, of how I feel about uh, what happened after that. So, um, so we moved to Yakima, and, um, and dysfunction is brought up more and more in my family. I think one of the things they didn't calculate uh, when they moved was leaving a brilliant community uh, that supported them and, and really... Um, I don't know if accountability is the right word, but community and, um, and kind of keeping, especially my dad, on a specific path that was good. And so they left that, and my dad became increasingly isolated. I'd watch um, from friends and, and from people and f that, that could speak into his life. So an example of this, uh, we'd go to church uh, pretty regularly as a family, um, which was a chore to get seven kids out the door to church for my mom. Um, yeah, yeah, we'd pile out of a car, and, there, and there's another, and there's another, and they keep coming, and there's another, so, <laughs> yeah. So we, um, we'd go to a new church every six months, because what would happen is my dad would end up disagreeing with the pastor. So he'd say, hey, I don't agree with what's going on, so let's go somewhere else. And so, advantage of that is I went to a lot of different churches, right? So, so most of the things you could think of from charismatic, Assemblies of God, Foursquare, um, to Covenant churches, to... Uh, Presbyterian, Methodist, uh, Nazarene. Uh, so kind of ran the gamut as a result. But the downside was we didn't have depth of community. Um, my, my dad would just kind of keep shifting every time. So that led to uh, when I was, 
somewhere, I think we were Covenant Church when I was 12, and about 14, um, he said, hey, we're, we're going to stop going, basically. So I said, okay, can I go on my own? And so at that point, I became the only member of my family that, that went to church and never went to the same place. Um, things would go on. At one point on one of my birthdays, my dad would blame all his marriage problems on me, um, and, and he and I just had a divide that continued. Um, and then I, I, so I was very intentional, too. I was very intentional at a young age. Um, so from four, one key things to know about me, my priorities in order were faith, people, and music. And that, that stayed the way all through that dysfunction. That stayed the case. So even when things were tough, I, I still stuck to the Lord. And I really think he put something in me for that. Um, and I think I had a, a really good mom uh, that, that really prayed. So we're recording, right? Yeah. Uh, so Sorry. <laughs> so, sorry to the <laughs> But to my mom, uh, uh, I love her. And she, she prayed and still prays for me every day. And I think that was really key. Um, so the moms in the audience that do that, you don't know how much that can change a young man's life. Um, so, yeah. So we, uh, um, at, yeah, I'm going to different churches. That's my intentionality. I, another thing I did that was probably a little different, I chose to not date until I was out of high school. I looked around at relationships and kind of said, they start, they end, they start again, they end. What's the point? I think I'll wait until, until out of high school. And so I dated, <laughs> I got a, it's true from the front there. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so um, and I know some people that have met that way, but for me, I just thought it wasn't the case. So waited to date till I was out of high school, dated, kissed, held hands with, and married one young lady. Um, and thanks. Um, and so we, uh, some tough stuff happened, though. My dad actually kicked me out of the house. I lived 10 places in a year. Um, and was, was almost homeless. In fact, I was to the point where I, I had about a, an hour left before some drastic things were going to happen. I prayed, I said, Lord, I've done everything I know, um, and so I need you to show up. And a half an hour into that hour, I got a call from a friend uh, that changed that. But I mean, it, was, it was down to the brink. So get married out of that. Uh, we moved from Yakima, finally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> praise God. <laughs> to, <laughs> to Wenatchee, which wasn't much better. <laughs> There's a lot of people from these places here. So, sorry. You know. <laughs> it's personal experience. And then from, from Wenatchee to Redmond. Um, and so uh, her name is Galen. Yeah, Galen and I were a pretty good team, I think, to get out of, um, out of Yakima. Uh, and then she was the first to graduate, uh, first-generation immigrant from the Philippines uh, to graduate college in her family. Um, we were both doing full-time work, full-time school. They were, um, just to sum up quickly, Five suicides in three months. She was the last contact for two of them. One was her brother, only brother, my brother-in-law. And so our, our lives were just um, from dysfunction and abuse and stuff that occurred throughout um, to that. And um, it was difficult. So through that, I, I felt the Lord start stirring in my heart something that had been there from early on, which was to, to be in ministry, um, which didn't make sense to me at the time, but it was persistent. And so through that, um, I applied for one job. Uh, on Craigslist, of all places, I didn't really know where to look, so I went to Craigslist, and uh, it's a, a First Presbyterian Church of Bellevue, which I'd never heard of, and Presbyterian scared me at the time, the word, and so I, I, I called and said, hey, um, you know, I've uh, been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I speak in tongues, I've had healings happen, this probably isn't going to work out, and they said, no, tell me more, and so, <laughs> so it was shocking to me, 
And so they end up hiring me, and, and I've worked in there. And, uh, and Scott Dudley, the senior pastor, becomes a close friend, um, which was pretty key because a year into that, my wife would leave. Um, and, and if you don't know Scott Dudley's story, he was divorced prior to ministry. And he was my first call, thank God, when that happened. I thought it would mean I'd be fired. And he said, no, that won't be the case. And, and he and another gentleman, Chris Martinson, walked with me. Chris was my supervisor there uh, as part of the worship staff through that. So, um, yeah, from there to, to Jubilee. And, uh, and the Lord really rebuilt my life through mentors. And so I'd say in my life, there's about three different times it felt like I built from nothing. Um, and that would be the, the, the third time. And the Lord used some incredibly skilled mentors, and he set up those relationships, and, and two primarily, Scott Dudley and Dave Cole. Uh, and they walked with me um, and met with me weekly as I went through that. So that's kind of the, the general where I've come from, who I am. So, yeah. so just because I'm also listening for what people might be hearing and so on, so I'm going to ask just a couple of questions. Uh, so you and I are talking, and, and you, know, you said your dad was skipping on churches, and that makes me get fearful and say, uh-oh, is he going to skip around on churches and right. so on. So we're in a conversation about this, and, and, and I said something about, this is a long story, so I'm not going to go into it, but I said, you know, if you, two or three years you want to plan a church, that's okay. And I said, I will want a two or three year commitment minimum from you. And we had been, at that point in time, I mean, we had been just flying high. It was like, oh my gosh, everything I'm thinking, you're thinking, it's like mind meld. And, and at that moment <laughs> right. in time, I could just feel him sort of deflate. Yeah, I shrunk back. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, well, because me, for me, I said, I want to make a, at least a 10 year decision. Um, and, and if it's beyond that, that'd be great too. But I think my heart is to stay and to build somewhere long term. I know, I shouldn't say, I think I know. That's my heartbeat. And so when you said, you know, it, yeah. kind of that I thought range, it was being nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's not at all what I wanted to do. So, and you sensed that right away. Yeah. 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 Uh, so just go ahead and, and I, I like your salvation story, so tell that part of it. We probably won't do the, go ahead. Sure, yeah. So, um, so I, in, this is back to San Diego. This is in the best year of my life when I was four, right? Um, so... I, as a young theologian, had a very interesting question <laughs> for my mom. And so she, she, we had approached a crosswalk. And so with the, the great training that I had so far in the Bible, I said, Mom, crosswalk, I recognize one of those words. That's where Jesus died. Get it? I'm waiting for the connection. Okay, I got one. There's more. There we go. Okay. And so she goes, no, that's not quite the case, right? And so that kicks off our theological discussion and I learned uh, uh, more accurately how Jesus died. Apparently, he wasn't hit by a car. And, <laughs> and in that, on the ride back, in that 71 VW camper van, um, which, by the way, I could still sit in the front seat at four. They made those laws later, right? Yes. Found, yeah. So uh, I'm in the front seat, and, and she, she says, hey, do you want to make a decision for Christ? I said, yeah. And so I accepted him at that time and took that very seriously. Um, and, and stuck with that through. So that's, that's the salvation story. Yeah. I love it. I, I, there's a, the reason why I love that is coming from the background that he comes from, what really is in his heart is stability, is longevity, is that solidness. And here's a guy who gets saved at four years old, and, and unlike so many of us, he doesn't have necessarily, not necessarily, he doesn't have that backslide period of time. 
I mean, he, he knew it was the Lord. He just marched forward. He had all kinds of things going wrong in his life, but he just kept marching forward in the Lord. And that, that spoke something to me that I think is important for a church family to have as a voice that's speaking to them and that's working with them and so on. Um, you know, I think we're going to go ahead. He's got a great baptism of the Holy Spirit story, too, and all that kind of stuff. But just, just because, I, w- I really want to get to the meat of it. Sure. Uh, and there are some questions coming in. Thank you. Go ahead and start texting him at this point. Uh, I do want to say we're probably not going to get to all of them by any means. Probably not even most of them. But there will be a Q&A afterwards where you can also come up and do this. I just wanted the whole body to experience some of this, okay? So, uh, you, you know... Um, what do you think, when you look at the church, just describe to us, what's the big problem? What's going on? You know, what do you see? What is God saying to you about the church, particularly the American church? Um, that we need more people wearing plaid shirts. <laughs> so I, know I have some help right here. <laughs> Ladies applauding in the front row. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> So um, what I what I felt, and this is we really really hit home on this when we were talking, because you shared um, that in a in a prayer time that you'd felt that the Lord was said to you, He was displeased with the American church, and you said that not knowing that I'd heard the same thing, um, and that was an unpopular thing to say or to hear at the time so that we were that we were hearing that, uh, and that that deeply grieved me um, as I thought about that and recognized it because I was raised that the church was, was the answer to everything and that we were being tremendously successful. And so to recognize that that wasn't the case um, was, was deeply troubling. And so as I thought about that, prayed about it, and, and studied it, uh, I came to the conclusion that we'd seen the rise of megachurch to the demise of Christianity nationally, is what I would say. Um, because we'd employed a few specialized people and expected them to feed everybody. Sounds and, familiar? And so we lost discipleship. And that's really the key word. You're going to hear that from me repeatedly. And that's, that's exactly what Jesus did. Um, and and uh, is he disciple? Um, and that's the model we're given. I would tell people when they would interview me to work somewhere, I'd say, hey, you might hire me to come do this thing. So as a worship leader, they often want you to be skilled technically and, and to lead a congregation well. And I'll say, I can do all that. You might think I'm successful. But if I don't build a pipeline of people that can replace me, that can do that, um, I feel like a failure because I feel my charge before the Lord is to disciple other people. That's how I developed. That's People poured into me and invested in me. And we all start at beginner. We all start there. And it's through people investing in our lives we grow. I know that's your story, right? It's everything we learn, we learn through, through people taking the time to teach us, the Lord and others. So through discipleship, um, I, I couldn't emphasize that enough. I think the other thing that we saw in the American church was what I call kind of a laser light show or the media wars is the other thing I call. And we basically got this idea that we can throw a huge event and have the biggest AV budgets and make it cool and everybody's going to show up and be impressed with us. And that's just not, not effective. And so um, we, we stopped going out into our communities and we became uh, less and less relevant Jesus Christ didn't become less relevant. How we share him became less relevant. Um, And so that's why I'm a huge fan of Jubilee Reach and what they're doing. I think that idea of getting out and sharing our faith through service is crucial without an agenda because I think a lot of the ways that we've shared has been kind of come to my club so I can convert you basically. 
Not that we absolutely want people to be saved. But when that's your agenda, people can sense that. When your agenda is, I'm going to walk alongside you regardless of what you think or believe. I'm just going to serve you. The James one twenty seven, right? Pure and undefiled religion is this. And it goes through who you visit, who you serve. And so I think when we do that as a church, it has a tremendous impact. And when we don't, and I think we haven't, we've gotten away from that nationally. Um, that's, that's been to our detriment in a big way. So. Now, those of you who have been here for the last five years know that when he starts talking to me about this kind of stuff, and I have not talked to him yet about what we're doing, you know, I, all the bells are going off, and I'm saying, pay attention, pay attention, because this is what I've been saying for five years. And, and it, it goes even more. But for a moment, why don't you explain to us a team-building experience? You've got the one, for example, at Creekside where they wanted you to come and lead worship and so on. And just give us an example of your heart mentality and what you did instead of maybe what they actually wanted. Yeah, so, so Creekside, uh, I was hired, um, and it's actually a part-time role, to come in and, and build a worship team because I was working full-time at Jubilee at the same time. Um, and so uh, I immediately took over their, their media tech team, worship team. And, and through that, uh, you know, prayed and, and did all the normal things and, and what had been true of me, uh, wherever I'd led a team, was, was kind of raising up others. So immediately I'll identify, man, Lord, who, Lord, who are you calling um, as a team lead? Uh, and what I've found with teams is democracies don't work. This is a Dave Cole teaching. Democracies don't work and dictatorships don't work, but teams and team leads work. Um, and so I needed to identify a few critical team leads. And so that would be worship leaders, right? doesn't mean they have to actually function as we might think of a worship leader, but someone that is a worship leader, a team lead. And so uh, I identified two people, uh, Beth and Dick are their names, um, that I really felt the Lord had placed the gifting in and was calling into that. And so, Interestingly, I want you to hear this. How old were they? Um, so Dick is in his 60s, and Beth's, uh, I think, 35. Yeah. Sorry if I got that wrong, Beth. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so I started working with them. And, and interesting, uh, so with Dick, um, one of the things that was, was interesting is he just, it was his deepest heartbeat when I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to lead worship. And I said, well, well, why aren't you doing that regularly? And, and he said, basically, people have told me I'm not very good. I said, okay. Did they tell you, there's a lot. Um, did they tell you why uh, you're not very good? And he said, no. Did they give you anything helpful to get better? No. They just told me, basically, you suck. So that's not helpful, <laughs> right? Um, and so we, we started meeting and, and going over. Uh, he was already tremendously skilled on keys, but vocally, um, he needed a little bit of work. So we started working on the technical, and through that, we started just becoming really relationally close. Um, and that just tends to happen when you work together. So he and, he and Beth and I met every week for, for about a year and a half. And then we set him up to take over two different teams. Um, so both those teams grew. I had new people, new additions that would come. And when I left Creekside, I was replaced by those two people. So they didn't hire to replace me in a position. I was replaced by two volunteers. Um, and what was really cool to see in their lives... Um, so in Dick, in his, in his life, his marriage got better. His relationships with his kids got better. You would just see this tremendous fruit happen. You were talking about throughout your entire life. Yeah. Because he began to relate the things that he was learning with the Lord to everything else he was doing in his business and yeah. his marriage and his relationships. And you'd see growth. And through Beth, too, you'd see this as she stepped into what the Lord had already called her into. Um, you just saw this tremendous fruit happen. Um, so that's kind of the Creekside example. Story. One of the things that, as I talked with people that had worked with you and so on, one of the things that people have mentioned over and over again is the centrality and the consistency 
of relationship first. Yeah. Uh, this idea that you know, if you build a relationship in order to get a task done, in the end it's an agenda and you lose the relational and then you right. lose the stuff. Could you just talk to us about, in principle and so on, you know, how you see that whole relational thing? Yeah, well, you said it. it's kind of like our, um, our model when we go into the community with an agenda to get people saved, right? Yeah. And you can just sense it. And I think it's similar with teams if you go, um, I'm going to pretend to build a relationship with you, but really I just need you to do something for me, right? I don't know if you've been there. I've definitely felt that. And God, no, you care more about me producing for you than you care about me as a person. And that just never works. And I found actually if you take the longer term, because you might get a short-term reward of that, but it's, it's, it's kind of like a weed that grows up really quickly and dies. It doesn't work. It's not sustainable. And if you take the longer road of actually learning who somebody is, listening to them, praying for them, asking who's the Lord made them to be, placing them in an area that's life-giving, where there's sustainable growth and reproduction in that for them, um, you see a lot of different results. And so on all those teams, I was thinking about whether or not this is true, but all the way back years, I have friends um, that I still hang out with from every team that I've built um, because I connect, and that's, I think that's really the point. People are the point. The Lord adamantly uses people he chooses to. He doesn't have to. He chooses to. He chooses to use us in relationship with one another. And I think that is paramount to the task, is how we relate and treat one another. And if that quality is not there, frankly, I don't want to serve on the team. And I'm guessing you probably feel the same way. And so when people get that you're for them and building them and that you place their relationship with the Lord first, their commitments to their family and other things first, that you're about them as a total person, there's just a different draw to that, um, and there's a different result, too, when you do it that way. Yeah. So quite a few questions are coming in. I do want to just point out, and I'm going to use his name so I can embarrass him terribly, because he wrote in, how much wood could a chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to embarrass you. <laughs> I did look at him. <laughs> Is that Roger? No, no. Okay, no. Is this general? No, but it, was, oh, it, it rhymes with heaven. I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. to pull the audience. Carlos, what do you think? Here's the question that I have on a serious level. People have asked this at the meetings. They've asked it here and again and everything else. Why Lake Sam? You had better opportunities in terms of money elsewhere. Yeah. You had bigger, more influential churches elsewhere, including First Pres, including Jubilee Reach. What, what, what was it that made you say, this is where I'm supposed to be? Yeah. So in my life, um, I don't think I've had enough public humiliation. And so <laughs> I thought speaking might be a good way to do that, right? And, and you record, so that's internationally yeah. now, sure, right? If I sure, misspeak yeah. for all time. That can be recorded. One, one of the things that I found, uh, again, that connection with Kurt is really central and really key. Uh, a senior pastor that recognized, that saw the problem the same way that I did, and a congregation that had responded to him saying that and taken a major risk. Um, and I, I don't think you could um, give yourself enough credit for that. A lot of people will see that problem and they'll hold on to what they have because they're afraid to take the risk because of what they might lose as a result, because it's a risky thing. It's, it's changing the paradigm, and it's, it's completely shifting it. And so you guys as a congregation, your willingness to say, look, what we care about most, and this is what I care about most, is Jesus Christ and his impact on a human being. And we are willing to change church, to transform how we do that, how we look at ministry, how we view that, whatever we need to do to be the most effective possible. We're not married to the idea of what a Sunday morning has to look like even. 
how things have to run, if professionals have to run those. We are married to the idea of Jesus Christ and how he reaches people. And so we're going to shift to whatever is most effective. That's worth more than any paycheck, um, than anything that anyone could offer me, is the ability to work on that. And to work on that with a body of believers that's serious about that. Um, that I really think that's, that's the answer. We work in, in Seattle. Um, you guys know this. If you look at transnational Seattle, we're kind of the epicenter of the unchurched, right? And, and here, to be able to try that here, um, what, a, what a cool opportunity for all of us. And so to be able to join what you're already doing is, is just tremendous. It's cool. We're going to be talking about something else in just one second where Kevin's going to be gone. So this is it. Did you want to, did you want to conclude with anything or not? You don't have to, but if you want to. What's that? What did I say? Me. Yeah, I'm leaving, right? That's what you meant? Oh, no, I was just still thinking about how much wood could a woodchuck chuck. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'm, it was Kevin. Now you know Kevin who it was. Kevin texted in. <laughs> yeah. And, and the Kevin. last name runs with Horalis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is sorry. It, is it Paralis? Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, I was just, you know. <laughs> um, well, it just, I think it would be to, to tie in that. Um, that idea of, of trying something. I don't know how much you guys uh, know the trends. I think, from, as I've gotten to know Kurt, he's pretty well educated on them, much more than me, actually, I think. And so uh, it sounds like he's educated you guys as well. But we watched the decline of Christianity from where it started in the Middle East and where it went to Europe and, and Europe's decline. And it looks like America's kind of following suit. Um, and so the way I view that, I go, well, could the Lord call us to preside over the death of Christianity in our nation? Maybe. I think there were smart people, good people that were over Europe and over the Middle East. I mean, Paul was there when it started. There were some great leaders, I'm sure, that were there. But I said, you know, Lord, I, I'm not going to go out without a fight. Amen. And I hope you feel that way. Um, and what a tremendous chance we have. Again, in this city, um, I think it's, well, I don't know with the trends in 2008, it was still highest rate of atheism, I think, was Seattle, about 10% churched. We see the, the spearhead, the tip of this problem. It's the front lines. And that's a cool place to be. That's where I want to be, is on the front line. Because we have the chance to make the biggest impact. To work on this idea and get it right. And to have that transfer outside of there. And so, um, that's, I'm incredibly, that's the heartbeat for me. Is how do we change that? We look at the rates of, of people my age. So, at younger now, it's 18 to 22. This is 2008 again. The stat was Wall Street Journal. 70% leave church and never return. We have a major, major problem. And so that you guys would be serious enough to say, how do we work on that and try and solve that and make an impact that lasts? Uh, that's so cool. And so that's, again, why I'm here uh, and what I hope that we work on in the future um, together. So, yeah, thank you. And again, those who have been here for a while know that that's just a, this is a it's literally an echo. I mean, that was the nature of our conversation. I didn't, I've never even talked to him about that what I've seen about from the Middle East to Europe and coming here, but you guys have heard me talk about that a number of times. So that's why I say, there's just over and over what I'm hearing is the same, it's, he's talking to the same God I'm talking to, or at least I would say it this way, the things God's telling him are the same things that he's telling me. And, and I think that that's what God's doing. And so I think that where he has guided us to go and we need help, he is now providing a tremendous resource for that. So at this point in time, with love, Jesse, we're going to send you out of here, okay? I need a packet. Does somebody have a packet? Uh, 
What we have done in this church forever, something that, frankly, I hope we don't do forever. Uh, strongly, I hope we don't do this forever. Jesse, please don't break our doors. <laughs> <laughs> you're good, you're good. But one of the things that we have done is that we are, you know, like I say, there's a prophetic aspect to this church. We are genuinely led by the Spirit. We're going to be spending a year and a half in the idea of empowered. I have no idea what that is. Is anybody else? Something's happening. Anyway, uh, uh, we're, we're, what we're doing is, is how to be led by the Holy So at a point in time where we get this opportunity, what are we supposed to do about it? And the answer is, we're supposed to respond. Uh, I would love it if we didn't, do a, didn't need to do a fundraiser. We need to do a fundraiser. Okay? We've got roughly half, a little over half of what we need. And by the way, this is exactly the same thing with J.J., it's exactly the same thing we did with Troy, same thing we did with Josh and Justine, same things we've done throughout all these years with all these incredible hires where we had a little over half and we needed to raise the other half and then they came on, we raised it for a year and then they came on and by the time that year was up, our church had increased in a way that was paying for their salary for the next thing. Now, if you want to talk to me about that in more detail, there'll be a Q&A afterwards, and you can talk to me about that, okay? Plus, I say Jesse will be back. But I do want you to reach into your packets, and I want you to pull this out, okay? And I want you to be aware of the fact that we do need to raise some serious money, okay? Uh, you know, and let me just tell you the vision of why I'm very comfortable with that in this instance. In the end... If this thing that I've laid out to you at the very beginning, that God called us to do church and to do it in a different way, if that's true, if God really has called us to do church in a different way, I want to tell you now, the first time I really understood, this is five years ago now, the first time I really understood what God was telling me, it took me about three months of prayer to get to the place to where I really understood that God was saying, the pros are leaving and I'm going to return ministry to the people. When I really heard that, my first response to him was, People don't want to work that hard. That's not what their Christianity is in America. If they work that hard, they'll leave. And I felt this very pregnant pause from the Lord where he did not say anything to me. And I think I correctly heard him saying, that's the point. That's where we are. If you could just kill whatever you want to kill. Okay. Is that going to work better? Is it on? Okay. So, so my point is, is I just I think that I think it is not unlike the Lord whatsoever that He should give us a key player in making this thing that He's called us to do happen, and then just asking us the question: Are you in? <laughs> you know, or do you care? Is this important to you too? I actually have this image. I think that somebody who writes down, you know what, I'm going to give a little bit each month towards this thing. I think that when Jesse calls you, I think your response is different, <laughs> right? If he's just somebody that we hired, you're like, well, I got all look at But if you actually invested in him your money, I think when he calls, you say, what am I supposed to be doing, right? So I just really want to cast this vision for, this is, this is probably the way the Lord wants to do it. It's not the way I would choose to do it. But I have a very strong heart on heart about that this is the way that the Lord would don't laugh. Okay? I just have a very strong heart that this is the way that the Lord would want to do this. 
So I'm just going to pray now. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I ask you that you would speak to this congregation. You know the mountain that we face. You know what it is that we need to do. You know why it is that we need to do it. We don't even know that yet. We don't even have it in our hearts what it is that you've actually prepared for us. But we do know when we're being led. I, I just remember sitting with Jesse and feeling this is the same thing I felt with Troy. This is the same thing I felt with Josh and Justine. This is the same thing I felt with JJ. It's not that they should come because it makes, you know, there's all kinds of other things, but I just felt you. That you're the one who is orchestrating something for our blessing, for our benefit. This body comes before you now and we discern, is that true? And if it is true, then what do you want us to do about it individually, personally? Personally.